So I'm going to read two sections from the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament in the Bible. And uh, I'm just going to read from Matthew chapter 3 and then from Matthew chapter 8. And I'm not particularly going to comment on them, but I want to use them as the kind of foundation for what I'm saying and what we're doing here this morning. So Matthew chapter 3 has these words. Then Jesus came from Galilee to... I've just got to find my glasses. I'm really sorry. (laughs) I thought I'd get away with it. Of course, it's not my eyes or my age. It's the lighting in here. (laughs) It is the right way up, incidentally. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then some verses <coughs> excuse me, from the end of Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, welcome to every one of you here today, and a special welcome and congratulations to those who are going to be baptised today. I know that for some of you, this has been quite a journey, but you've made it, and this morning you, by God's grace, will make a public confession, if you like, of your faith in Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour. Well done for your persistence and for your commitment. It's a brave thing to do, to publicly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and to talk about him with other people who may not yet quite understand. Just recently, someone showed me an excerpt from the diary of the 18th century preacher, John Wesley, uh, who was persistent in sharing his faith. I found his diary really amusing. One part reads like this. Sunday, May the 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday, May the 5th in the evening, preached at St. John's. The deacon said, get out and stay out. The next Sunday, the 12th, preached at St. Jude's, not allowed to return. Sunday evening on the 12th, preached at St. George's, kicked out again. It's obviously not the St. George's down the road. Sunday the 19th in the morning, preached at another church. Special meeting called, and I was told I could not return. Sunday evening the 19th, preached in the street but was kicked out of the street by the locals. Sunday morning the 26th, preached in a meadow but was chased out because a bull was released during the service. (laughs) Sunday morning the 2nd of June, preached on the highway but was kicked off it. Sunday evening the 2nd of June, preached in a meadow, 10,000 came and listened. That's persistence and commitment. And so, well done to you guys for being persistent and committed in coming to this place of baptism today. I realise that for some people here, baptism is a very new thing and perhaps a very strange thing to think about. So I want to explain in very simple terms what Christian baptism means for you today. I want to begin by saying 
that being baptised in itself does not make anyone a Christian. Christian baptism is an outward and public sign of what's already happened on the inside of a person's life. Your friends and family will be standing here this morning to say, a change has taken place. It's taken place on the inside of my life, a change in my heart, a change in my mind, maybe even a change in my ambitions and aspirations. And I'm now publicly witnessing to that change by being baptised. It's the most obvious thing to say that you don't change someone on the inside by immersing them in water. They may come up slightly cleaner, though I've seen most of the candidates, and I don't think that would be a problem today. But baptism is about an external expression of something that's happened on the inside. And baptism will not make them clean on the inside on their own. But it speaks of them having been washed, having been made clean on the inside by the love and mercy of God through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It points to the central theme of the Bible, that we have a God who loves us. And this God who loves us, loves us enough to forgive us for all the wrong we have ever done. Everything that no one else knows about. Everything that we think is secret to us, or perhaps to a small group of others, God knows it. And if we're honest with him about it, God is willing to forgive it. And indeed, to forget it. He's a God who loves us too much to leave us where we are. He doesn't want people to live a lifetime feeling guilt or a lifetime feeling shame. And he has the power not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us, to wash us on the inside from all that we have done that may have grieved him. In a few minutes, your friends and family members will tell their own story of how they came to believe in Jesus. Each story is very different, as is always the case. But they've come to believe in him as Jesus, Son of God and Saviour. What has fundamentally changed them is that they all believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Here in the UK, in 21st century Britain, lots of people might think it very strange that someone would make a public claim that Jesus had changed their lives. But in other parts of the world, this is an incredibly dangerous confession to make. Because in some parts of the world, as we stand here today, to confess that you are a Christian, that Jesus is your Lord and your King, means probably you are evicted from family. It means often that you won't get into further education or your career has just come to an end because people are opposed to you becoming a Christian. And in fact, in some extreme cases, in some parts of the world, a family may even hold a mock funeral for the Christian who has converted to Christianity because that's the end as far as they're concerned. They don't want anything else to do with that person. And what marks baptism out especially is this, the understanding that it's a point of no return for those people. I don't mean a point of no return to the family. They're more than willing to go back to their own family. But it marks us out as a place where we're not turning back anymore to the old way of life. We have chosen to follow Jesus. He has made all the difference. And we are for him. More importantly, he is for us. That might seem very shocking, that picture of the funeral. But actually it points to another symbol of what it means to be baptised. When we lower someone into the water and we bring them out again, it's a picture of them having died to the old way of living 
and come alive to living for God and for his glory. They've discovered that God really does love them, and if I may so say so, that God really does love us. And now they want to live to please this wonderful Saviour who died for them so that they could be forgiven. A man called Paul wrote about this in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. He said this, If any man or woman is in Christ Jesus, they're a new creation. The old is gone, and all things have become new. He's saying that these folk here today have discovered to be true that if we're sincerely sorry for the wrong that we have done, the things that cause an obstacle between us and God, and if we ask him to forgive us, and if we're prepared to make him king of our lives, then God will forgive us. More than that, he has the power to make us new creations on the inside. God has the power to recreate us in our hearts and in our minds to give us a new start with him. So Christians are baptised to symbolise inner cleansing. They're lowered into the water and brought out again. And Christians are baptised once again to signify the idea of dying to an old way of living and coming alive to living for Jesus Christ. But then they're also baptised because Jesus commands us to be baptised. In our reading today, in the second part, Jesus gives his disciples an instruction to go and make other disciples. And he includes these words. Baptise everyone in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Maybe that you're a Christian here and you haven't yet been baptised. And I want to say to you, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, but it does mean, if I may say so, that your response to the teachings of Jesus and of the New Testament is incomplete. It is a command of Jesus that Christians should be baptised. And if that's you, may I lovingly encourage you to take the step, as these folk are doing this morning, and to make plans to get baptised at the next opportunity. Today, the 24th of November, is in many parts of the Christian world being celebrated as Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday. And I think it's a wonderful idea to have a Christ the King Sunday. Except for this, for an authentic believer in Jesus Christ, every day is Christ the King Day. Every day is a day when Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, there are some people who want God to give their, forgive their past, but they don't want Jesus as King. There are some people who want to get rid of their guilt and they believe that God can forgive them, but they don't want Jesus as king. There are some people who want a new life, a new perspective, a new start with God, but they're not prepared to go the extra stage and say, yes, and I want you as king for the rest of my life. But for an authentic Christian, living for Jesus is what life is really about. Listening to him, living for him, serving him, obeying him. These are the hallmarks of a follower of Jesus. And we do so because we have come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again. We believe, your friends believe, your family believe, that on the cross Jesus Christ took our sin and our guilt and our shame in his own body. He paid the price we should have paid by dying for us on the cross. 
And because Jesus died in our place, God has said, if we will ask him to forgive us and make him the Lord of our lives, then God will forgive us and we'll be forgiven. And we can know God's wonderful new life in our own lives. Incredibly then, these folk and many hundreds of millions in our world today like them have discovered a king who loves them. I wonder if you know that king who loves you. A king who is prepared to die for them. I wonder if you know anyone who would be prepared to really lay down their life for you. A king who wants to die in order to give them eternal life. I wonder if you know for certain that you have eternal life. May I say this to you with the greatest respect. If Christ is king, then we need to obey his command to be baptised so that we're truly his followers. As I come to a close this morning, I want you to know that these folk who are being baptised are ordinary people. Sorry, but you are quite ordinary. (coughs) They haven't earned their salvation by being extra good for a period of time. They haven't earned God's forgiveness. They haven't earned eternal life. They've simply trusted in God's gift of Jesus and his death for them. And as a result, they've received all those things from God's gracious hand. Eighteen years ago, I had a phone call from Portland in Oregon from a friend who said, Andy, I'd love you to come to Portland and experience one of our prayer conferences. And immediately I thought, I would love to, but I can't afford it. And he said, I know what you're going to say, you can't afford it. He was right. He said, don't worry about that. I shared my idea with some friends, and some friends I know have paid for your ticket. They've also arranged your accommodation. All you need to do is get on the plane and fly over, and we'll look after you. I was thrilled to bits. A couple of weeks before the journey took place, I emailed them. I said, could you please send through my air flight tickets? And they emailed back and said, you don't need tickets. It's an e-ticket. You just take a reference number with your passport to the check-in desk, and you'll have no problem. So I arrived at 5.30 in the morning, Manchester Airport, went to the check-in desk. I said, I'm on the flight for Seattle. She said, can I see your ticket? I said, I don't have a ticket. It's an e-flight. You don't need a ticket, just a reference number. And she paused and she said, you do need a ticket. And I said, I've been told, you don't need a ticket. Here's the reference number and here's my passport. I'm told that's, you need a ticket. By this time... I wasn't cool anymore. I was panicking like crazy. (laughs) She said, I'll speak to my supervisor. And the supervisor came. And she did that thing that they do, you know? Look at your passport. Look at your reference number. Look at that screen. I don't know what's on that screen. It's probably countdown. Just checking up. (laughs) Make sure it's on there. She closed them together and she said, yeah, that's fine. You can get on the flight. It's no problem at all. I got on the flight and flew to Seattle. I had paid no money. I had no ticket. I made no arrangements for this journey. They were all made by people I had not seen in a place I had not yet visited because they wanted me with them. My role was to accept their invitation, step onto the flight and join them on the journey. And in so many ways, this reminds me of what Jesus has done for me, what Jesus has done for us. We have no ticket of our own that will persuade God to forgive us. 
We have nothing to offer him that means he has to include us in his plan for new life and salvation. But from a place where none of us have ever been, the arrangements were made for Christ to die on the cross for our sin. So that by receiving him as our saviour and our king, we could know the past is completely forgiven and we have peace with the God of the universe. And that, folks, is the story your friends and family are being baptised about today. But it can be your story too. And I want to invite you right now, and later on in the service we'll pray and maybe give you the opportunity to respond to what you hear. But I want to invite you right now to listen carefully to what they say, to give real thought to their stories. God is real, God does love you, and God is willing to welcome you if you will let him. Thank you for listening to me. God bless you as you hear these true stories of life with Jesus. Amen.